Yeah, see, right off the bat, we're already thankful for God's patience. Um, uh, Psalm eighty-six, fifteen. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, as I was thinking about this lesson this morning, I was thinking, isn't it interesting in Scripture, grace and patience seems to always get grouped together. Whenever it mentions that God is patient, it mentions that he's, that he's gracious. And I think that we don't focus very much on the patience of God because we just say, well, let's just talk about the grace of God. It's so easy for us to move over to talking about the grace of God because we hear about it more often in Scripture. Because um, we kind of have an understanding of grace. If I asked you, what's grace? What would, your, would you have a ready-made answer for what grace is? The undeserved. <laughs> Favor of God. Yeah, the undeserved favor of God. But if I ask you, if I ask you what is what is God's patience, what would you say? Long suffering. Okay, it's long suffering. We're to be that too. But what do we mean by long suffering? Well, forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Okay. Maybe I'm the only one that struggles with the idea of what does it pay God's patience really mean? <laughs> maybe what do you think? maybe being content. Yeah. yeah. Come on, tell us what you think. <laughs> oh, I'm going to. This is my version of an introduction. Uh, yeah, when um, was it? Was it you that said thank God immediately when I said when I wrote God is patient on the board? Um, the patience of God is very precious to us as sinners, and at the same time, God has a different word for patience than He does for grace. And so we should, instead of just going, well, let's just talk about God's grace. Let's think about this. What separates his patience from his grace? What is it that makes patience different from grace so that each of those words says something different about God? So I think it's, it's worth just sort of digging into this idea of God's patience and not being in too much of a hurry to move on from it. Um, Nehemiah 9.17. Would someone look, up, look that passage up? Nehemiah 9.17. And then would someone else look up Romans 3.25? I have a definition here of the patience of God while you look those two passages up. Um, The patience of God is his delaying or tempering of the punishment that sinners deserve. That's the definition that Grant, that, uh, not Grant Jones, Mark Jones gives in the book. Grant Jones has not written a book on patience yet. Grant could have that. He could. I can write a book on impatience. Okay, he's going to write a book on impatience. We'll cover that. Um... I actually like this definition. There's a theologian. His name is a mouthful, but he's really, as far as systematic theologies go, he's really wonderful, and I'm going to try and trot his name out as often as I can. I'm just going to write it out just so you can see how wild it is. Wilhelmus. Abrakel? Abrakel? I don't really know how to say his name. This, This is a Dutch name. Uh, anyone an expert in pronouncing Dutch names? Mm-hmm. Wilhelmus Abrockel wrote this four-volume systematic theology, and immediately your eyes glaze over when you hear it. But he goes through all the, all the attributes of God, uh, all the gospel, um, all the message of salvation, and it reads like a devotional. Every single page, it's like he's just worshiping. And so it's very, very approachable. It's one of those systematic theologies that I, I think if I was going to tell like a Christian father or a mother to have something in their house that they can teach their kids from, I would probably tell them to get his book. 
Um, and if you ever want info on that, then let me know. Or if you just want to look through it for yourself, because I'm hyping it up so much, take, then uh, please let me know. But here's what he says patience is. He says, it is an attribute of God where he refrains himself from initially pouring out his full wrath upon the sinner, thus postponing his punishment. So he's, he basically says that, that patience is sort of putting off punishment. Or delaying the punishment that somebody deserves. Um, you know, it's sort of like um, if, if you're going to spank your child, but you're out in public, you know, <laughs> and you sometimes you see this, right? You'll see a parent. I, I'm guilty of this. Um, maybe you go to Chick-fil-A and you go to the play area and there's some kid and their parent calls to them and they say, come on, Susie, let's go. And she never comes. And the, the parent doesn't do anything. They just they just they're very chill, very calm about it. And. They leave that place, and you don't know what happens. That kid probably got the spanking of a lifetime when they got home. But you don't know, right? Because it's not something that they're doing in public. The parent is showing patience. Now, they might be just getting walked all over like a doormat, too, <laughs> which happens. But, you know, if this parent is a good parent, they're going to deal with the misbehavior of, of their child. They're showing patience, right? They're delaying uh, punishment until later. Um, our children, sometimes they know that they can get away with stuff because in the immediate, you know, we're not going to spank them in the middle of church. But sometimes they get home and find out that mom and dad remember what happened. You know, they experience the patience of mom and dad, maybe not the grace of mom and dad. Um, but the word patience, uh, the, the patient, um, Willie Ray, you mentioned this already, this term long-suffering, because that's another that's actually, you know, the scriptural, the Hebrew phrase actually just means long-suffering. That's what patience is in the original language. And when we think of God as long-suffering, you know, we want to make sure we don't think of God as actually suffering. Who did the lesson on God is unchangeable? Was that Robert? Or was that you? Okay, you don't remember? Do you remember? No, was I, it you? I don't think I did God is immutable. I think Robert did. Or else, maybe it's still coming, but I, I think someone taught it. We did so many lessons, I can't even remember which ones we've gone over and which we haven't. But when we talk about or talked about God being immutable and unchanging, one of the things we talk about is the fact that God doesn't suffer. He's, he's impassable. Impassable. Pat to, uh, paseo is the Latin word for, for suffers, to suffer. And so God doesn't suffer, he doesn't get hurt, he doesn't get injured, nothing comes from outside and harms him or damages him, because he decrees everything that happens, so there's no such thing as something that's outside of him that can affect him or hurt him. And so when we say God is long-suffering, what we don't mean is that God just goes through this long season of agony and he just puts up with it or something like that. Instead, we, we understand that God is not the one who is changed. He is the changer. He is the one who, who acts on us. We don't act on him. And so um, Stephen Charnock gives another definition of patience. We're going to move on from these definitions very shortly. Uh, Charnock says, Patience signifies a willingness to defer and an unwillingness to pour forth wrath 
upon sinful creatures. God moderates his provoked justice and forbears to revenge the injuries he daily meets with in the world. Now, this is the thing that makes patience different from grace. Because patience is something that even unbelievers get, right? The patience of God is something that unbelievers enjoy every single day. And we're going to look at a passage later on that says God is patient. God is patient towards you. And we find out that God is also patient toward unbelievers as well. There's this sense in which unbelievers get grace from God. Grant talked about that when he talked about God's common grace, how everybody gets grace in a certain sense. But everybody, every human being who lives and breathes knows what the patience of God is. Um, There are limits to God's patience. Can you think of any being in the entire universe that is not subject of God's patience? An eyelash. Any being in the universe that does not experience the patience of God. Because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to be patient with him. Well, it's the, we take that definition, I guess, to putting all of punishment. Mm-hmm. Christ never really deserved punishment. Yeah. Is there any being in the universe that, as far as we know, isn't going to get grace or isn't going to... Hitler. Okay. But even Hitler got to wake up and have a bowl of oatmeal, probably. He may still be alive. We don't know. <laughs> Some head in a vat <laughs> with an electrical current running through it. Yeah. Um, well, what I'm thinking of is is uh, fallen angels. So there's there's one entity in the universe, right? They uh, see, so so you've got this large number of the angels. Not all of them have fallen, but some of them have. And so the fallen angels, they're not subject of Christ's grace. Jesus did not come. One of the things the Book of Hebrews talks about is the fact that Jesus didn't come to die for angels. He didn't come as an angel. If he had come as an angel, and if he had died, potentially he could have saved the fallen angels, I suppose. But he didn't come as a fallen angel. What did he come as? Man. He came as a man. He came as a human being. And he came as a representative of us as human beings. And so he, he didn't come to bring grace to angels. The fallen angels are going to be judged. They are not subjects of God's patience. Although there is some sense in which they are, right? Because... The final judgment hasn't come yet. They're still operative in the world. So even there, there's a sense in which fallen angels receive, for, uh, receive patience from God. Uh, but all that to say, I, I suppose, the, really the idea here is that divine patience is something we should talk about as something that God uniquely shows to human beings. Um, his patience extends to people who never repent. You know what I just realized? I told you all to look up two verses, and then we didn't even read them. Uh, would somebody read Nehemiah 9.17? I got it. All right. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. So you see the, you see the uh, slow to anger, right? that delayed anger, that delayed expression of wrath. Um, 
slow to anger, ready to forgive. And then we also have that passage. I think someone looked it up, right? In uh, Romans 3.25. Did someone get that one? Whom God put forward as a... Propitiation. Propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So he had been passing over sins. He had, in other words, not been punishing. He had been putting off the punishment that some sins deserve. That's one of these principles here that sort of lays down this idea of the patience of God. There were times when sin was happening and he wasn't doing anything about it, or at least it looked like he wasn't doing anything about it whatsoever. Um, but the scripture also says that God doesn't just sh- show patience towards believers. He shows it towards unbelievers. He shows it towards people who never repent. Um, would someone look up Romans 9.22? And then while you're looking that up, would someone else look up Nahum 1.3? Okay, Nahum. Romans 9, 22. Yeah. Okay. Nahum 1, 3. All right, you have Romans 9.22. Someone else look up Nahum chapter 1. Okay, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Okay, there... If you look at that passage, who, who receives patience in that passage? The vessels of wrath prepare for destruction. They get patience. They get patience. So see, see, patience isn't just something that's for believers. It's not something for people who eventually repent. Patience is something that even people who are destined to go to hell still receive. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. People who were never going to come to faith in Jesus, they still get patience. Um, delayed justice, that's what we're talking about there. His patience is rooted in his nature. God's nature is the reason why he can be patient and uh, whoever has the passage from Nahum 1.3, did, did we get a hand? Did we get anybody that looked it up? Okay, All right, John's got it. Nahum 1.3. Let's see if I can get far enough over here. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the, Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Are the dust of his feet. Excellent. Okay. Um, notice the, the, that in that passage in Nahum, where does it root the patience of God? It roots it in his nature and in his power because it says the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Um, so think about this. When God created the world, he showed his power over what? What did he show his power over? We can spitball a little bit. It's okay to be wrong on this. I'm fishing. (laughs) 
did he show his power over? Yeah, what was he showing his power over when he created the universe? I mean, all, all, all the things that we know, right? All, all of existence. That's right, all of existence. Yeah, time, everything. Yeah. So when he shows his patience, he's showing his power not over creation, but he's showing his power over himself. He's showing his own self-control, his own sense of self. Um, think about this. Creation is his. God made it. He designed it. He planned it. Um, all events are under God's control. Everything that takes place is under God's control. And when God shows patience, he's not dealing with some other force out there that's putting pressure on him. Um, what, what, what Nahum shows us is that patience is something God exercises in relation to his eternity and in relation to his goodness and in relation to his sovereignty. So his patience is, is like a reflection of his self-control and his sovereignty. Um, and I think we're probably not used to thinking of it that way. But God's patience is in essence something that can happen because he has perfect self-control and self-knowledge and he knows exactly what he's doing. And so for us, it seems like this interminable long wait for God to do something. And in his mind, he says, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing exactly what my plan has always said. And so what we see is patience. And what he sees is, hey, this is just what I'm doing. This is my plan. Does that make sense at all? So, so God's patience is God-centered. His patience is centered on himself. Um, and then also this passage in Nahum also shows us that God's patience doesn't just happen because he chooses to sort of wink at sin and let it go because the verse promises us something very precious, especially if we've endured wrong, especially if someone has hurt us, especially if someone has done something very wicked to us. It says, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. So God's patience is not a... A patience that disregards justice. It's not a patience that disregards the things that we know we deserve and we, the justice that we know we deserve. Instead, his patience happens in concert with his justice and in concert with his holiness. So he's not just constantly going around winking at sin. That's what that passage in Romans 3.25 said, right? He passed over sins before, and because he passed over all of those sins, there was this possibility that people might think God isn't righteous, God isn't good, God doesn't deal with evil when it happens. And basically Romans 3.25 is there to say to us, uh, actually um, uh, God sent Christ so you would know that's not what he was doing. He was not disregarding those things. He always does what's right. Um, the fact that God's patience happens in concert with his holiness is exactly why he sent Jesus. When we look at the cross, we are looking at the holiness, the justice, and the patience of God all on display in this one moment in history. Uh, because there is no divine patience without the death of Jesus. Um, think about this. Jesus' death helps us make sense of why he sent his son into the world. Um, because, because remember... Um, Jesus took on himself a human nature. He didn't take on himself an angelic nature, as we mentioned. Hey, he didn't come to die for angels. No, he came to die for us. He came to die for, for people, for human beings. And so uh, this is part of why I said earlier, angels don't receive God's patience. They don't get the patience of God. He came specifically for us.
and, and I mentioned this already before, and we talked about this when we talked about common grace, but everyone on earth receives God's patience to some degree because we are not instantly destroyed the moment that we're born. You know, the moment that we are conceived in our mother's womb, we don't zap out of existence. Um, and so we get grace. Samuel Bolton was, I, I'm pretty sure he's a Puritan writer. And Samuel Bolton said this. It's really potent what he says. He says, if any tender-hearted man should sit one hour in the throne of the Almighty and look down upon the earth as God does continually, and if he should see what abominations are done in that hour, he would undoubtedly in the next set all the world on fire. See what he says? If you could spend one hour on the throne of God seeing what he sees, uh, observing among human beings the sort of things that he sees and the things that he knows, you would immediately set the world on fire. And part of the reason for that is because you don't have his patience. Right? You, don't, you don't have the sort of long-suffering with other people. I mean, you can't handle getting cut off in traffic. How could you handle seeing the sort of things that God knows every single day that happens? Um, even if we knew everything that God knows without his tenderness, without his goodness, without his patience, we would just lash out. Um, all we receive as human beings is, is better than we deserve. Um, and that's true even for those who, aren't, who don't repent, right? God delays his wrath. God tempers his wrath. Now, why, God is, why is God patient at all? Why, why not just instantly destroy everything? Well, there's a passage in... Second Peter that gives us an idea of why that is. Why would God pause? Why would God wait? And it's in Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, and I can see Grant turning there. Will you read it for us? Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that they should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, so remember what we said, all of God's attributes involve one another. Uh, in essence, he's not a collection or a conglomeration of different attributes that are sort of glued together into sort of this Frankenstein's monster, uh, and that's not what God is. Instead, God is one being who we describe as having all of these attributes, but in reality, he's just one. And so his patience is his holiness, his justice is his goodness, um, all his eternality and his patience are all connected together. And that's what Peter does here. He brings together the patience of God and the, and the, the uh, eternality of God, and he says, look, the reason why he can be so patient with us is that his perception of time is not the same as ours. He brings together God's eternity and his patience and says he can wait as long as he needs to wait in order to, to accomplish what he does. And in the moment, Peter's basically trying to answer this question, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why has Jesus delayed so far? Why hasn't he just given us our just desserts and shut this whole operation down? And his answer is because he's showing patience. Who's he showing patience toward? Well, if you look in the Greek, he's showing patience toward you. Right? He is writing 
to believers. He's writing to the church. He's writing to those who are recipients of divine grace. And he's saying, you are the one that he's holding off on all of this for. He's holding off because there are believers out there who need to hear the gospel. He's not done with the full number of the elect yet. Not everyone that he has chosen believes. And so he's holding on. And he's delaying bringing his ultimate wrath. He's delaying and holding this off for a particular reason. And so one answer to the question of why God hasn't returned yet, why Christ hasn't returned yet, is God's eternity, right? We wait, the wait, when the wait for him is like no wait at all for him. Um, all right, the wait for us is no wait for him. Now, there's another practical reason, and Mark Jones does mention it in the book. There's a practical reason why God delays, and the practical reason is he, he's giving humanity time to propagate. Uh, there are more people on this earth. There are more people that he plans on occupying and uh, populating heaven. And so just practically speaking, those people have to make more babies so that those babies can come and be with the Lord. Um, Herman Bovink mentions another reason. He says, God's goodness is much more glorious when it is shown to those who only deserve evil. So every time that God shows goodness to somebody who deserves only evil, he looks more glorious. He looks more gracious. He looks more kind. And the longer he does it for, and the more people he does it for, the greater he looks. Because you and I can't, we don't have it in us. Right? And I keep mentioning traffic. It always seems like whenever my kids ride with me, they find out that I'm a well, they already know I'm a deeply impatient person, but traffic is one area where they find out that I'm really impatient. There's this road. You guys know Flynn going up past to the Red Oaks Hospital? Or, uh, yeah, River Oaks. Old names, River Oaks. And uh, it seems like whenever I get on that road, I always end up getting behind somebody who's holding a cell phone up in their face while they drive, and they're going 10 miles below the speed limit. And that road, that drive from, from where we live in the Oak Park subdivision up to uh, 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 Lakeland Drive, it feels like the longest drive in the whole world when the person in front of you is going 10 miles below the speed limit. I can't help it. I'm so impatient when it comes to, you're resonating. I can see, John, you're resonating. You know you can pass on that road if you need to. It feels so <laughs> rude. It feels so rude to pass on that road. I can't. It's also rude to drive 10 miles per hour below the speed limit. Yes, all of these things are true. It feels like there are solutions here. And yeah. Anyway, I ride behind the car and just wonder what's happening. Well, when they're on their phone, too, I'm scared they're going to swerve into me. Because a lot of times people ride in the center lane. Anyway, we're off on traffic laws. We need to get a civil engineer in here to help us figure out how to do this stuff. Okay. But, but, but anyway, as soon as I think of traffic, I think of, man, how impatient I am. My kids know it. They know how impatient I am. And, uh, but... Um, God can be afforded to be patient in a way that we feel like we can't afford to be patient, right? Every single moment of our lives, we're burning, we're burning up the, 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 the wick on the candle, you know? Every minute of our lives that passes by, we're losing time. Um, and yet God, not only does God have all the time in the world, but uh, we're very different from God. He knows how everything's going to work out. He knows whether we're going to reach that destination. He knows whether we're going to complete the task that we're, that we're going to do, uh, whether it's to go to work or go to the store, and all this stuff that we're in such a hurry to accomplish for one reason or another. God does not have those same 
emotions going on inside of him. He is not confused or put off or wondering what's going to happen. And so his experience of time is just totally different than ours as well. And so uh, we're so different. He knows how sanctified we're going to be by the end. Isn't that an interesting thought? He knows uh, whether or not the thing we're going through is going to make us more like him and shape us into being more like him. And that doesn't happen in an instant. That takes time. Um, I have uh, multiple friends right now. They've graduated from seminary. They're looking for a church. And as you talk to them, as they wait, as they go through this interminable, difficult season of waiting to try and find some measure of patience in their own heart while they wait... You can see that God's shaping them. You can see that God's forming them. You can see that he's making them soft and malleable and teachable and ready to serve wherever they go. And that's not something you can teach someone just in a classroom, right? You actually have to go through it by actually waiting, by actually going through this. And God doesn't have that sort of experience, but we do. And so when God... Uh, puts us through a trial or when he sends us through some moment that is so incredibly difficult for us, he knows what the outcome is going to be. (coughs) And so God never grows impatient with us. What an interesting thought. He never grows impatient with us because he's in no hurry. He's in no hurry. He knows the outcome. And not only that, but we actually see, oh, and so Mark Jones says something here because of that. He says, he may allow us to take one step backward for a moment if he knows that we will take two steps forward in the future. So he's talking about each of us and sort of our experience. And so he'll actually let us experience setbacks because he knows that the setbacks will grow us. He knows that the setbacks will actually shape us and change us. Um, He does nothing to us that does not involve all of who he is. So when we go through things, you know, it might be trying, it might be painful, it might just feel like the most agonizing weight for us. And yet it's perfectly in line with his love, and it's perfectly in line with his goodness, and it's perfectly in line with his grace. So when we get put into a weight, when we get put into a holding pattern, uh, even when we go through difficult trials, I think it would do us well for us to remember that he does all of these things in concert with his whole person. He loves us. He's good to us. He's patient with us. He's gracious towards us. He gives us all of this stuff and all we see in front of us is he's making me wait or, or we see he's sending me through this difficult trial or he's let me get this sickness or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you're going through. And yet all of it involves all of who God is and all the love that he has. Um, I would like to just get some examples from you guys. Can you think of some times when you had to show the greatest amount of patience, if, if I asked you, what is the most patience you've ever had to show without dragging anyone in the room through the mud? <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on, on the experience in life of a teacher, David? <laughs> you know how your own children are. Multiply that times what do you, what do you see each day and many of them not having supportive parents and parents that are there for them all the time. So you have kids that are just from, I mean, they're, they're all across the spectrum. Uh-huh. And uh, there are those who are, I've got one that I'll see tomorrow morning that just wants to love on me all the time and 
that's great. I try to be patient with him, but I don't I don't want to be touched. I just wanted to. Yeah. But he, he's a really, really nice young man. Uh-huh. Uh, comes from a loving family, but uh, he's latched on to me for some reason, and I have to continually tell myself, hey, hey, he's a nice kid. Be nice. Be nice. Yeah. And then you got those others that are complete and utter, um, clean it up, jerks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you talk to the parents, and you can see exactly why they are the way that they are. Mm. Mm. So some of what helps you be more patient is having understanding, too, of why why things are the way they are. Which, again, going back to God, he knows why Mm -hmm. this thing that he ought to be impatient with is happening, too. So that helps. (laughs) And he knows it perfectly. What else? Anybody else want to share stories of patience? This is a great time for you to be the hero in the story. (laughs) Well, not being here, I think everybody in this room who's, who's raised a strong-willed child has had to show some patience. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd kill them, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's how much happened. Yeah. Well, you know, David was one of the most impatient people. He just kept on going, why are you not doing this? Why aren't you getting these guys? Why don't you zap them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of times in the Psalms he is, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes the, in other areas of David's life, you see him being really patient. Like he's not willing to raise his hand against Saul. No. He, just, he just stays back and stays out of it. And it's like those are the seasons when he trusts God the most. But he knew that Saul was God's chosen to be there. Yeah. His enemies were not. Yeah. <laughs> he wants them that. Yeah, because he doesn't write that about Saul. Yeah, he's not writing that about Saul. He's saying these people actually hate God and they hate me. Um. Uh, uh, the book of Hebrews is it the book of Hebrews that uh, refers to the patience of Job the patience of Job you know this is a guy that suffers greatly he's got his children taken away from him his property um, all the worldly comforts you could possibly have and yet he does sit and he does complain and yet, in Scripture, he's remembered as being somebody who was patient, somebody who endured what he went through um, and didn't accuse God of wrongdoing, which is not easy to do a lot of times. Uh, Stephen Charnock, this is a good quote from him. He says, God has exercised a long-suffering from the fall of Adam to this minute on innumerable subjects, and shall we be transported with a desire of revenge upon a single injury? How distant are they from the nature of God who are in a flame upon every slight provocation from a sense of some feeble and imaginary honor that must bloody their sword for a trifle and write their revenge and wounds and death. He's very applicable there, isn't he? And actually, as a parent, it makes me feel very guilty. Um, I actually feel guilty towards my dog just this morning. My dog was driving everybody crazy, right? He was being really bad, right? Jumping on everybody, snapping at people, um, and yet he's, he's saying, how distant are you in those moments when you're impatient? How distant are you from the nature of God in those moments when you have to bloody your sword because somebody wronged you or uh, harmed your honor or something like that? The call, uh, the call that God gives us to be patient is a call to live a God-centered life. It's a call to say, I'm going to leave this in God's hands this thing that I, it's driving me crazy 
but I'm going to leave it in God's hands because he's better than me, because he knows better than me, because he's righteous, because he's good, because even in this moment, he is doing the right thing. And so in our, in our anxious and fearful hearts, I think sometimes we, we demand to know as much as we can. God, tell me what the future is. Tell me what's going to happen. Um, and because God's, nature, God's patience is rooted in himself, and it's rooted in his self-control, and it's rooted in his sovereignty, and that means that our patience has to be also. So if you ever meet someone that you think just is remarkably patient, it may actually be that they haven't disconnected themselves from the world. It's not like they've chosen to stick their head in the sand and just pretend this bad thing isn't happening. It may actually be that they are so God-centered that they know that God is doing the right thing and he's doing it in his own own time. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could be patient because we trust our God even though we don't know the outcome? That's like the epitome of godliness to be able to go through something and say, I don't know the outcome. I just know that he's good. I just know that he's doing right. Um, There's a saying that we may not be able to trace his hand, but we can trust his heart. And I think that's wrongly been applied to Spurgeon, but it's still, uh, I don't know who said it, but it's right. We know that God has his best for us, even if we don't know what he's going to do right now, even though we don't know what this exact situation is going to bear out like. And so I guess the word of application I would have for us is maybe we aren't as patient with others, with our family, with our friends, with our pets, uh, with our, our fellow church members. We're probably not as patient as We could be, and we know we're not as patient with them as God is with us. If God treated us as impatiently as we treated everybody else, we'd be in huge trouble. And part of being a Christian and being more sanctified and God making us more holy is that he does create within us this desire to be more like him. So reflecting on the patience of God, I really believe it has a sanctifying way of working in us and showing us, oh my, how far short I've fallen of the patient, patience I should be showing to everybody else. Um, any other thoughts on patience before we go this morning? Well, kind of, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm listening to this lesson, and I'm reflecting on it, and listening and reflecting. I've, I've concluded in, in, in the place I've worked for, I've been entrusted in certain in situations being a leadership position. Uh, anyway, long story short, I find a lot, of, a lot of folks in, in the private in the private sector and in, in the world they see patience as equal to weakness. I mean, a lot of times you you're patient in the situation, and folks think, "Oh, he's weak about so and so." He's a soft. That's what I'm saying. The world kind of pulls you in the other direction. Mm. I feel like I'm getting pulled in the other direction. We didn't even talk about that, but that's. I constantly feel that, and, and what I do to deal with it. Is I, I demonstrate, I, I say, I, I hear what you're saying about wanting to be, to be impatient, but I think time is on our side here. There's no reason to jump out and do something. And I, I guess I'm, I, I, demonstrate, I say out loud, I'm being patient on this, reason, on this subject because of this reason. Hmm. We're in such a rush that everybody else has to be in a rush too. You might, are you kind of talking about a discipline of a person for instance yeah for instance yeah discipline of a person yeah you want to give several subjects 
especially when you spend time thinking about God's patience, then you like think about the world around you and you think, man, even, even more than in my own heart, you just think the whole trend of humanity is toward busyness, toward productivity, toward doing so much. Isn't that why the, I think I'm going to point this out actually in the sermon this morning. Isn't that why the Lord's day is so funny? Because it's literally a day where God says, put the brakes on your productivity. Put, your, put the brakes on, you know, being in the rat race. And intentionally, specifically, don't participate for one day. Um, that is so unlike the world. The world says, hey, you've got seven days in this week. You've got seven days to make money. You know, you've got seven days where you could be out there sort of bringing home the bacon. Let's not do that for one day. Yeah, yeah and it's not just being busy and be, it's, it's being called upon to act on something. When it's not, maybe not be time to act. I know you all feel yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true, too, but there's a time to call for action mm-hmm. in some situations where yeah. You, you don't have the luxury of being patient. That's right. Yeah. Well, we, we all got patience until somebody pushes the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> That's why children. As churchgoers, we deal with it the best way we can, unless it gets just too steamy. Yeah. And then you just lose control. <laughs> but isn't that why, I, you know, we keep going back to children, but isn't that why it's great having children? When I was going to college and we didn't have any kids yet, I really thought myself to be a pretty virtuous person. I thought of myself like some kind of monk, you know, and then I had kids and I was like, oh, no, I'm a terrible human being. Um, (laughs) I'm a very impatient person. Yeah, they just bring out all your lack of virtue and they are a blessing because of that. Because what would be worse than actually be a deeply impatient person and never realize it? You're going around lecturing people on patience talking about the virtues of patience. And meanwhile, you've never even had to put it into practice. Um, well, I think on that note, we'll, we'll wrap up. Well, let me close this with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your patience. We thank you that you don't immediately respond to our sins with wrath. We thank you that you delay giving us what we deserve. And we thank you, Lord, that for our neighbors even, Lord, you show patience toward all of humanity, even those who are vessels of destruction. Lord, those who are never going to come to you, yet they receive your patience every day. And so because of that, we live in a basically orderly society where people know right from wrong. And um, because of the civil magistrate, they, they stay in line oftentimes. Uh, We thank you that we live in a place where you show patience. We thank you that we live among human beings who receive patience, Lord, even if they don't receive your saving grace. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to be more patient. We ask that you would help us to reflect the very character of God in our lives when we're in situations where we want to lash out and where we want to respond immediately. Would you give us the sort of patience that you have and that you show towards us? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.